No, but my question is, what are the other vowels getting up to that Y can't be a full-time member? (laughs) Welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. And we're back with another lovely vacation for our... Drawbridge lowering. Moat swimming. Panel tapping. Girl detective. Nancy Nancy Drew. Drew. In the Moonstone Castle Mystery. Mystery. We said Moonstone Valley last time. I think we were lied to. There was a valley. There was a castle. There was a moonstone. In many ways we weren't wrong. So the whole premise of this case is problematic. And there's some interesting attitudes towards adoption but other than that i think this is just like a fun little silly romp i guess attitudes towards adoption is accurate it just seems like children are there to be like passed around until they get old enough to collect inheritances we've got the elderly abuse of larkspur lane true we've got the nonsense of that like mystery of the moving wall or whatever it was right with the pearl factory yeah but i'm getting real original whispering statue vibes in general (laughs) i could see that there's a lot of overlap not the rewrite but the original back when the whispering statue whispered with the wind yeah in this one there's just a dog statue (laughs) look forward to that this novel begins with a mystery package and exactly the kind of mystery package i wouldn't open i wouldn't i would i would open it hope if you get a package who's written who's like letters written out of cut out newspaper bits don't open it that's a bomb you're kind of right if it had my friend's name on it i would be like they're just being creative right but it didn't have any return it doesn't have any names all we know about where this newspaper comes from is that carson in his classic knowledge of the world's newspapers is able to say oh yeah that's the font from our newspaper Carson reads every newspaper every every morning. Well, open it, George says impatiently. Nancy, prompted by her detective instincts, was careful not to destroy the wrapping. One of those kids at Christmas. Inside is the finest moonstone Nancy had ever seen. Pretty neat, said George. Nancy's never seen the likes of which, and George is like, tits. Bess deems it the case of the unknown admirer. This theory is touted for most to the book it's very rare that someone sends nancy something because they admire her there it's almost always a threat anyhow says nancy you can't tease me that it was ned this was mailed from river heights not some obscure town where he's off being a camp counselor camp counselor idaho which is apparently now a drive away instead of a whole airplane flight away everything's within a drive <laughs> of river heights home. except for that boys camp they were previously working at that they had to fly to her place Well, they had to get there quick. The letter inside, I believe also pieced together from different letters, says, This is for good luck from a well-wisher. You will need it within the next few weeks. No one says well-wishing like someone with a vague threat. Can I just say the most worthless clue ever? (laughs) Yeah. All it does is add danger. Mm -hmm. And questions, like... And mostly questions. Who's sending this and how do they know what's coming up in a few weeks? I like Carson's explanation of how they probably know uh, what Nancy's upcoming weeks entail, which is probably some eavesdropper heard me talking about my next case. Yep. (laughs) And they're just like... How incredibly proactive to Mm. be like, Carson's got a case. I better get on it. I better Mm. start sending things. 
Nancy Drew is off to the post office to see if they can tell her anything about the sender. They they usually do. Not this time. She does take the precaution of making her bodyguards walk significantly behind her. Before she thought that she should walk in case she was being followed, she had like driven halfway there. She gets in her car, parks, says, I might be followed. We should walk. (laughs) Well, Bess and George try their best to follow a thin, dark man who is following her. I believe they call it wearing a scowl for an expression. Mm -hmm. They keep being like, well, maybe we should just like tackle him or something. Nah. And then Nancy knew the whole time that he was following her. And then she just doesn't catch him. Nancy chases the man onto a bus, uh, is unable to stop him. A bus to Granby, uh, one of my favorite places. Oh, Granby? That's just a drive from here. She calls the police and is basically like, this man followed me and got on a bus to Granby. Can you go like question him stop that bus <laughs> no she does say like wait till he's off but then like F- I, mean, yeah, fair I guess harass him yeah <laughs> she says george and bass i can tell you about my dad's case it's no secret <laughs> <laughs> and even if it was you are detectives ever astute Bess says but i'm sure it's a mystery yes this is the problematic premise mr and mrs bowen colonizers 15 years ago, took their three-year-old granddaughter, who was entrusted to their keeping because her parents died, and put her in the custody of her other grandmother, Grandmother Horton, Mm -hmm. said, we would rather than take care of our three-year-old, go to Africa as missionaries, and take care of people there. I don't personally agree with a lot of missionary work. But here's where it really goes. We are told the tribes there in Africa were restless and always at war among themselves. Okay, you could just say there's political turmoil, for instance. That's how we would say it if it was like a European country, you know? Yeah, I mean... To be fair, Mm -hmm. my tribe, America, is pretty restless and commonly at war. Yes. And so they kidnap Mr. and Mrs. Bowen. It's not clear why that would be beneficial. One of my favorite Christmas movies is a French Christmas movie, uh, Here Comes Santa Claus. The, like, main premise is the parents there have been kidnapped. That's right. But it's specifically political. They are kidnapped in order to negotiate an exchange of prisoners with another country, basically. What do you want to bet Mr. and Mrs. Bowen just lost their passport? <laughs> that's, that's all that happened. They just got in jail. We were kidnapped. We lost your passports. Yeah, they just did something really bad, right? They... <laughs> yeah, they, had, they brought weed. They brought weed. To be clear, we don't think that's bad. No. (laughs) Do not get us wrong. (laughs) It is the stance of River Heights Radio that if you do weed, you need to go to jail overseas. No, Carl. (laughs) So Mr. and Mrs. Bowen are now back in the United States. They've been released. They've come home just to find that their grandchild has disappeared into thin air. Just gone. It turns out Grandmother Horton only lived for like less than another year after they left and now joan or Joni horton is is gonzo <laughs> to be clear mm-hmm. brother horton not a bad caretaker just a very dead one really all nancy has to go on in this case is a picture of when the girl was three years old and since she's now 18 george points out that picture isn't going to be much good this isn't the first time nancy has discovered a missing grandchild based on one picture though carson 
needs to go to San Francisco because A, Joni Horton ended up in San Francisco and he needs to go talk to her because that might be the Joni they're looking for. He leaves Bess, George, and Nancy in charge of going to Deep River, which is the town that Grandmother Horton and Joan lived in, and seeing if they can hunt down any clues. San Francisco does seem like the more fun option. Yeah. Luckily, when Bess and George call to get permission, Bess's mom says, you need to stay at Longview Motel, where Mrs. Thompson works. It is amazing. Guests of Nancy Drew will stay at Longview Hotel, where Mrs. Thompson will provide only the best in local gossip and dating advice. All expenses will be paid (laughs) by the Carson Drew Law Firm. Didn't Nancy used to have her name on that? What happened there? Carson, upon hearing about her secret admirer's gift to her, says... Keep alert to anything to do with moonstones. We haven't had a burglar break into the Drew home for a while. And we don't here because there is a deputy put to guard their house overnight. Given that Nancy was like shortly followed, it seems important that that a good portion of the River Heights police (laughs) are just on it. So Nancy awakes at midnight to the sound of somebody yelling, stop, stop. And then the literal sound of a gunshot. So she runs out with a quaking heart, yelling, Dad! Dad! To which there was no answer. And thus ends the chapter. End the book. That's it. (laughs) Don't worry, the next chapter starts with Carson Drew rushing back in, right to the phone, ignoring Nancy completely, calling the police and saying, Hey, Deputy Donnelly, he's chasing a prowler he scared off, but his radio doesn't work in his car. So he thought you should know where he was going. It's stuck on Hits 97. You can't fix it. (laughs) Nancy expresses how scared she was and is promptly laughed at. And you thought your old dad had met his end, eh? You teased. You old dummy. The best part is, it's not that someone shot at and missed Carson. There was never a bullet. It was (laughs) just a simultaneous Jeep. An old jalopy. (laughs) (laughs) So they have a midnight snack. Carson points out that whatever the Prowler was doing, I love this. He certainly wasn't eavesdropping because we were in bed. Good detective work, Nancy Carson. assumes he might have been trying to steal her moonstone. It, you know. <laughs> it's a pretty nice moonstone. <laughs> Very lucky. So they have cocoa and angel cake. Nancy suggests that Carson see how the police are faring and he says, no, you do it. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. They finally get the cops on the line. It's, you know, it's nothing. There's nothing to say. Well, the Prowler abandoned the car next to forest ran into the forest and unfortunately if it's stolen dark outside there's nothing you can do donnelly does not have good night vision <laughs> no, he's night blind. and uh, yes the car, car was stolen, stolen which is I, I at this point we all know in the nancy drew mystery that's a dead end so one clue that carson has to this case is that a college friend of mrs horton grandmother horton called him and said you know what near to the time of her death Grandmother Horton had two servants who lived with her, and after she died, they moved to San Francisco. As Nancy points out, they probably took her. Moved to San Francisco, you say? That's it. And Carson lets Nancy know that he found a postcard in the attic of the old house from New York to Mr. and Mrs. Ben Omen, those are the servants, signed Claire. 
He doesn't know why, but that might be important. He got that clue from the people who lived in the house that they used to live in. And the people were like, you know, we don't have a lot of information. We did find one postcard in the attic behind some furniture. Do you want that? Mm -hmm. We kept it for years. Do you want that? It was a really cool postcard. Like a picture I of the world's fair love found postcards myself I, you know that's true I, that's true that's very fair well carson says i'm sure you'll do all right if you follow that fantastic intuition of yours i love that nancy's like is there anything more to find in this place like what are you talking <laughs> about it feels like it feels like that's a dry well should we go to san francisco no okay best shows up just with a ton of luggage and i think this is the first time we've really seen that trope of like Bess is the girly girl because yeah, she has all the a... hair dryers. And it's funny because a lot of the stuff is sporty. But she does feel, she feels more tropey in this one to me. I feel like she's not more tropey. It's just more tropes that have been updated to where we recognize them. Oh. We're going to have some fun as well as sleuthing, aren't we? Yeah, I love that. Aren't we? Right? Right? I mean, we are, right? Carson thinks if you can make people think you're on vacation, it probably will be advisable. That comes up like three times. Like, what's your <laughs> job, Bess? Your job is to act like you're on a vacation randomly nancy wonders whether she should take the moonstone along with her uh you're gonna need the luck best says please do it's supposed to bring you good luck and when you're solving mysteries you can use it mrs gruen says luck certainly wouldn't hurt george was inclined to consider the whole matter superstitious but if you want to take the Moonstone just to look at it because it's beautiful, okay. Like, George, you didn't, like, it wasn't your job to give permission anyway. Like, you can do what you want. Whether you believe it or not, you know it's superstitious. Like, you're not right. like, is this superstitious or not when you're talking about luck. Right. It's just whether there's anything to that superstition or not. It's not like you're washing your hands and someone's like, you know that's superstitious. And you're like, I don't think so. Which now with what we know about placebos and frame of mind being so important. Right, right. Like, technically, maybe the Moonstone did help her on the mystery if it gave her more confidence. Nancy's just practicing good mindfulness. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's interesting with, like, how much crystals are coming back into the forefront of people's understanding and imagination of magic that like yeah a really beautiful moonstone that could be pretty powerful even if it's just because it's a beautiful thing to look at so they kiss hannah goodbye they get into the car they're off to the motel supposedly but out runs Hannah. There's a phone call for your father, but he says he'll talk to you. It's urgent. It's for your dad, but you'll do. So it's Mr. Bowen on the phone. He says, I received a threatening phone call. I changed my mind. Don't do it, Nancy. Don't go to Deep River. Nancy was amazed, which I'm surprised at this point that she's ever amazed by a threatening <laughs> phone call. But Nancy was amazed, but realized that some person or persons must be extremely afraid of being in investigated yeah that's the idea nance i'm not going to let anybody scare me off this case i promise you i'll be careful though and not let myself be trapped a promise that, that she, she does keep. not keep She'd never once keep <laughs> mr bowen said he admired her courage but pleaded 
with her to heed the mysterious warning. I'll keep it in mind, says Nancy. Nancy kissed Hannah again and waved a cheery goodbye. Now, I love it when they read a lot into gestures. Oh my god. Mrs. Gruen <laughs> stood staring after the girls. What do you think that meant? Shaking her head as if to say, nobody can threaten Nancy Drew and get away with it. It worries me, but I admire her courage. Which is absolutely not what We've she was all saying. all seen that shake of the head. By shaking her head. We've all seen the classic, it worries me, but, etc. No, no, this is Nancy's fantasy as she looks in that rearview mirror and sees poor Hannah beside herself with worry. Hannah sure is crying as if I've got everything under control. Once they're unpacked at the motel, Nancy takes out her binoculars, sees that a thunderstorm was brewing, and that there are scudding black clouds, and goes outside with her friends anyways. <laughs> Gotta have them binocs. Really the magnifying glass of the book. Yeah, that's the detective tool of the book. <laughs> with these binoculars, they spy, of all things, a castle. Sure. It's on an island with a lot of wild, like, it's not well kept up. It's clear to Nancy that probably nobody's living there. Help me understand. Is it Deep River Valley, though? Because I thought it said they could see for miles in either direction of the valley. But also there's a castle. Yeah, it's Longview Motel, Carl. <laughs> Pay attention. I know, but where's the island? Is it in the valley? It's on the river. Oh. Okay. Now, however, the storm is really whipping up. It's been a while since we had a storm of the book. That's true. And so this one has to be a doozy. What happens is as they're passing a magnificent oak tree, lightning strikes the tree. Nancy and her friends feel a tingling sensation as the ground vibrated. Branches almost fall on them, as if that wasn't enough. <laughs> Hypers! That was a narrow escape. I feel numb, says George. I was really excited to see Hypers return. Nancy also feels numb. And Bess claims she's a wreck, but the book specifies she keeps walking. She's fine, yeah. <laughs> Once inside the safety of the motel, Bess is somehow more scared and she's like why is there no rain this is really weird to which nancy replies this must be one of those dry storms A dry storm those are the most dangerous kind of storms mm -hmm. luckily nancy's wrong because a few moments later a literal few moments later a absolute thick curtain of rain falls down and they cannot see 10 feet ahead of them long view or not we're safe Nancy, ever the most polite guest you can imagine, apologizes, no, expresses her sympathy to Mrs. Thompson over the loss of her beautiful oak tree. I like the idea of an apology over it. Yeah, like she's a lightning rod. <laughs> Sorry about that. Whenever I get a mystery going, it happens. To which Mrs. Thompson says, oh, the ugly side is facing away from the motel. Also, I'll get a tree surgeon out to fix it up. Half of that made sense. Logistics. <laughs> I get why you'd want the pretty side to face your customers, but from an advertising perspective, maybe you don't want the ugly side to face people who would become customers. Bess asks if there are storms like this often, and Mrs. Thompson says, how should I know? I've only lived here less than a year. If you want to know things about this town, you're going to need to talk to Mrs. Hempstead. She's an old lady whose daughter owns the Brass Kettle, which is a tea room, one of Nancy's favorite establishment types. 
lips. The girls laughed and George remarked, you mean she's the town busybody? Source of clues located. I wouldn't have gathered that. But yeah. They were quick to understand that what Mrs. Thompson was saying between the lines. Yeah, it's classic. If you want, you know, you, you go to a new town, you say, hey, who do I ask about the rain in this part of <laughs> in the city? Who do I ask about how often it storms, if you know what I mean? When they walk in to talk to Mrs. Hempstead the next day, she is talking to a man and Right away they overhear, the name's Drew, you say? I'll let you know. Did the stranger perhaps mean Nancy or her father? Immediately, Nancy says, I'm out of here. She goes to a corner booth in the brass kettle to wait for Bess and George to do the spying. Mm -hmm. What follows is to me a very comic scene. I can see it all playing out in my head. Bess and George dawdling in the lobby, pretending to be... Fixing their hair, it specifies George doesn't have enough hair to fix, so she has to instead pretend she's picking dirt off of her imaginary dirt. There's no real dirt on George. Yeah. So she has to it's pick, believable there would be. pick dirt off of her sweater. Uh, and they both powder their noses repeatedly, generally very obviously spying on this man and woman. He's even milling around. Like, oh, it's a, a wallpaper. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, there's a little chair here. Oh, a little dirt. Okay. They overhear Mr. Seaman is the guy's name. And they hear... We're not going to joke about it. And they hear him say, I have something very valuable to give her. Bess right away wants to just go get Nancy. Why not? Why shouldn't we get something valuable? A gift. He can't be bad. It's a gift for Nancy. (laughs) I don't know if this is the second out of like three times that Bess just gets truly excited that Nancy's getting a present. George, I don't believe there's... There's any gift, Bess. The valuable end of a baseball bat, Bess. But finally, she does send Bess to get Nancy mm-hmm. after the man leaves. She decides to follow the man out of the restaurant in yeah. the meantime. This is where George stretches her legs. Bess demurred at first, but George said, don't worry, I'll be careful. Until Mr. Seaman leaves, George pretends to be trying to find something in her purse. <laughs> <laughs> I put all my dirt. <laughs> she watches Mr. Seaman drive off in a car. She did get his license number, and she happened to see that there was a woman driver. However, she could not see clearly enough to, like, be able to identify the woman later. So, Bess and Nancy eat lunch. They are fully done with their lunch before they say, Hmm, I'm a little worried about our friend George. What is she supposed to pay for lunch? What's going on here? <laughs> According to Bess, George takes such wild chances. Which, if I'm being honest, George has been kidnapped far fewer times than either Bess or Nancy. But far more times than most. Maybe because she can run faster. Maybe. Well, says Nancy, George knows how to take care of herself. Just the same, I think we should go look for her. Not worried, just obligation. On the way, they befriend a little boy. He points them towards the direction George went. Nancy is now more worried for some reason, even though they have more idea where George went. And she says, if something has happened to George, I can't forgive myself. And it has been a while since we've seen any sense of duty. Personal responsibility. From Nancy. (laughs) Meanwhile, Bess was in literal tears. And I love that they finally acknowledge how mean George is to Bess in this one. You'll see more later, but right now, enjoy this. Bess and George had many little misunderstandings. 
and sometimes found fault with each other. But the two girls were very close. Sounds like George's PR agent wrote that. Misunderstandings instead of fight or argument or conflict. It's just such a way to like minimize it. Yeah, well, sometimes Bess is like, you know, that hurt my feelings. And George is like, no, you don't get it. What I meant was you're fat. <laughs> But for some reason, with Bess literally crying about finding George, okay, so it kind of makes sense for them to go back to the brass kettle, right? What if George just returned there? That makes sense to me. But once there, they decide to go talk to Mrs. Hempstead again, not about George, just to do some spying, just to do some mystery work, and just leave that on the back burner, which I would understand if they weren't already at the point of tears. I was just replaying some Nancy Drew games. And there's always a point where you don't know what you're supposed to do next. That You just go back and click on everything again. Yeah. To see if there was something you were supposed to have done. They could have just no, yeah. come out of eating, talked to Mrs. Hempstead again, and then went and looked for George. Yeah. From a writer's standpoint. Anyways, Nancy decides she has to go undercover as Irene Innsbruck. Oh, I remember Irene. Which involves moving her voice up high, yeah. as most of her undercover work does. Yeah, that's how she did debbie right yeah Bess could hardly keep her face straight my gosh i love it because nancy says to Bess, you know i think i should go undercover do you remember a certain character (laughs) known as irene the shy young woman from our play three years ago (laughs) yes and Bess is like do i (laughs) yep shy shy irene it was iconic (laughs) yeah When they ask Mrs. Hempstead about Mr. Seaman, the first thing Mrs. Hempstead does is ask, Classic. Is that your boyfriend? Why, are you dating him? And then does not wait for an answer. This is not the kind of woman who, <laughs> who has time to waste waiting for answers. She launches into, Nice man, Mr. Seaman. Reliable-like. That's the kind of man a girl ought to have for a husband. <laughs> and Nancy is way too hot for this dude. Like, this dude is middle-aged, and as Bess points out, Mr. Seaman really ought to reduce, though. Irene prefers thin men. I love it. Mrs. Hempstead reassures Nancy that after you're married to him, you can put him on a diet. Nancy gets into the situation all the time where someone's like, why are you dating him? You should date him. Like, what's going on? You know, this mm-hmm. weird matchmaking, like, mm-hmm. hey, you're 18, he's 40, what's up? <laughs> uh, but this is the first time that instead of just, like, politely demurring, she's like, as Irene, she gets to be like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so creepy. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mrs. Hempstead is, like, winking at her every other sentence yeah well says nancy right now i'm only interested in learning where his house is third date shit somewhere out of town i I couldn't even say who knows well says nancy do you think i would like it here in deep river i don't see why not i've lived here all my life and look at me hale and hearty I've heard some queer things have happened in this town. (laughs) Oh, it's not bad. Nancy finally asks about the castle. And she's told that some foreigners built it and then abandoned it because it got haunted. Why did it get haunted, asks Bess. Oh, you know, some kid got killed because of a drawbridge accident. Some other construction worker died. Please don't tell us anymore, says Bess. 
died. Mrs. Hempstead was not to be stopped. <laughs> I do love how they make a uh, haunting sound like the kind of thing you'd put on your homeowner's insurance. Like mm-hmm. it got haunted. Our, our, our basement flooded. What happened to you? Oh, we got haunted. They study a map on the wall. They find out that Deep River used to be called Shallow River. Moonstone Valley. There it is. Finally, Nancy gets the topic around to Grandmother Horton. Personally, I don't know who was the queerest, Mrs. Horton or those servants she had. So apparently Grandmother Horton, soon before she passed, became completely isolated, online shopping only. (laughs) Everything was delivered to her door and left there. There would be a check waiting on the porch. Nobody saw her or anything. And then she just died. Truly the Willy Wonka of Deep River Valley. Everyone knew she was wealthy. Everyone knew she was sick. And that's about it, right? Mm-hmm. Once she died, a doctor from out of town was called for. And an undertaker from out of town was called for. And there was a private funeral. Not a soul in town knew about it until it was over. That sounds pretty suspicious. Yeah. Chekhov's strange set of circumstances well Bess really steps into it she impulsively blurted out what happened to the little grandchild the instant she had asked Bess was sorry however mrs hemstead doesn't seem to really hear her perfect you can bet your life if any child was out there i would have heard about it i am glad Bess didn't take that bet the two girls made no comment nancy and Bess left at once they realized they should continue their search for george oh yeah (laughs) who they find in a well-lighted soda shop Mm -hmm. full of young people they hear a familiar whistle wait can i do it this is george Mm, Hey! (laughs) But more like a whistle. I thought you were going to do the whistle. No, I just want to do the soda sound. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, Nancy! (laughs) Nancy felt that a great weight had been lifted from her. George was actually trailed herself as she tried to follow Mr. Seaman by the man who had trailed Nancy to the post office back in River Heights. And just by coincidence, there he goes now! Look! They run after him, don't catch him. But this is the first time Nancy has gotten a good look at him. Yeah. And she realizes he looks familiar. Familiar. She cannot figure out why or how she knows this man. Could be from earlier when she saw him in this book, but who knows? <laughs> Could be anything. Nancy decides she wants to visit the castle the next morning. That place intrigues me. It probably holds a mystery. Bess says, I thought we were trying to find Joni. Don't tell me you think she's being hidden in the castle. <laughs> Nancy laughed. No, no, not after all these years. Like a kind of Rapunzel style. She's just like up in that tower. Yeah, you pointed out to me earlier, <laughs> like, this castle is just Nancy also being curious she's bored of this mystery and she <laughs> she like, wants a second one no. or she wants one lined up for after this one or at least a good haunted mystery mm. so they see that the drawbridge is down they think maybe some tourists were just checking it out though it's positively spooky says bess and the others agreed and they stared at the spot puzzled i guess this becomes the mystery of why the drawbridge is down Maybe it just fell, Nancy suggested. George is the one who suggests maybe some sightseers were here. 
that's a logical explanation, Nancy agreed. Which Let's I, keep thinking about it. I feel like that's always her way of saying, oh yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Bess says, I know I'm going to be famished before we get back. It won't hurt you, said George, surveying Bess's plump figure. It's the surveying for me. Yeah, like, what is it, a mountain? Whenever, specifically to make her feel bad about her weight. Bess made a face. First of all, they discover that there is now lots of water in the moat. More than rainfall could have put there. Which they later find out is somebody made a trench from the river to fill up the moat. Oh, Bess screamed. The castle is haunted. A ghost must be raising the drawbridge. Classic maintenance ghost. So now it's the mystery of why the drawbridge went back up. George says, don't be silly. It's my guess somebody is hiding inside the castle and put the bridge back up here's a little bit of a rewrite <laughs> nancy who long ago had made a rule never decide with either of the cousins when they were disagreeing said if we expect to get across now we'll have to swim i've never heard that rule before it is not a rule when the debate is is it a ghost or not of all the times for Nancy not to jump in. That's one of those debates she always comes down on no ghosts. Obviously not a ghost. On George's side, yeah. specifically. It's always them against Bess. Yeah. Ridiculous. But there's at least three examples in this book of her taking a side. Oh dear, says Bess. This is getting terribly complicated. Why don't we leave the castle out of our sleuthing? Which honestly is pretty reasonable since they have no reason to think this has anything to do with anything. I don't know if it's reasonable to think you got complicated. I didn't notice that, but yeah. <laughs> the other girls did not answer her. <laughs> and it specifies that after Bess has a big breakfast, a delicious breakfast, she's back in good humor. As if the idea that maybe they don't want to waste their time swimming through moats when they have a mystery to solve. is so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy's next plan is to go to talk to all the bank managers in town. Bess and George were always interested in observing Nancy's sleuthing procedures. They often wondered whether it was her charm, her straightforward manner, or her business-like approach that unfailingly gained her entrance into offices of officials. Or just her dad's name. Right, yeah, it's the Nepo baby thing. It's such a place where they're like clearly not acknowledging any privilege <laughs> that Nancy has. And in fact, by contrasting her with Bess and George, which are our next best thing to Nancy, we're supposed to see that even amongst the top of the top, Nancy is head and shoulders <laughs> yeah. above that. So the first bank manager, Mr. Cleet, is not very helpful, but he does say that Grandmother Horton came around the time of her death, took out all of her money, all of her securities, and left and didn't really say anything about it. After they leave, Nancy suggests to her friends that Mrs. Horton might have been under some kind of hypnotic influence. Of course. So at the other bank, the head cashier is the only one who's been there long enough to remember Grandmother Horton. And he remembers that everything was left to her granddaughter. He also says that Mr. John Wheeler had handled her estate and that Mr. John Wheeler lives on Victoria Street. You can't miss his house because it has a huge statue of a dog. The barking statue. Nancy finds this guy not as helpful as she hoped he was, but really he breaks everything open by pointing out Mr. Wheeler. Like that seems like something Carson should have been aware of, that the estate was handled by Mr. Wheeler. That's like right up his lawyer alley. But Mr. Wheeler is retired. And as you know, when you retire as a lawyer, you're your, gone. your file is closed. <laughs> 
So they go right away to visit Mr. Wheeler, who says, in a lilt, It's rare that even one young lady comes to call on me. To have three all at once, and such attractive ones, is a great pleasure indeed. Well, I got bad news, Wheeler. We need you back in the lawyer game. <laughs> Nancy's there, supposedly, on behalf of her dad. Mr. Wheeler says, yeah, we gave everything to Joni Horton from New York City. What? Bess says, but she couldn't have taken the money. She was only three years old. Oh, Mr. Wheeler says, uh, she was 21. Nancy's mind was in a whirl. George says what Nancy was thinking out loud and manages to royally piss off Mr. Wheeler. So mad. The idea of questioning my integrity as if he didn't properly investigate this case. And let's face it, he did not meet Carson Drew's level of making sure an heir is an heir. And as we know, there are so many people out there pulling this fucking scam. They all know. The funny (laughs) thing is, she didn't even like question his integrity. She was just like, uh, were you suspicious at all? He's (laughs) like, what? It's because he feels guilty. Yeah. As we find out. Yeah. George says, please forgive me. He's mollified. He's like, okay, this is how it is. Grandmother Horton died. I came to the scene. On her nightstand, there were several notes signed by her about what to do with her money and several checks written by her, signed by her. All legit, I assume. Even though the notes went missing later. Yeah, he set them down and they disappeared. (laughs) He assumes they were just tossed away. The witnesses to her will were no longer living so he couldn't go talk to them and someone said that she was Joni, so it's fine Joni horton the 21 year old had a birth certificate that checked out she had her parents marriage license and she had letters from her grandmother horton the funny thing is that's more than enough to prove that should be more than enough official documents used to be a lot easier to forge than they are in this day and age. George repeats the same sentiment as before, but perhaps more tactfully, she says, couldn't they have been forgeries? And instead of being mad this time, Mr. Wheeler practically goes into a trance over, like, maybe you're right. Maybe they, you know, were. This time he's like, I guess. (laughs) I most certainly hope not, he says. And when they leave, he still seems really out of it. Nancy calls to check up on her dad. Every time she does this, she doesn't get to talk to her dad. She says, don't worry, Hannah. I've got my moonstone for luck. Hannah says, moonstone, bah. Use your good common sense and you'll be better off. Hannah, when the hell did you start pretending to not be superstitious? When did that happen? Here's the part of the book where we pretend like maybe the good guys are the bad guys. Maybe Mr. and Mrs. Bowen lied about having a grandkid. Obviously, you're not the ones being lied to. Like, mm-hmm. That's the thing is every time it's like facetious. It's like to show that Nancy is unbiased, but like obviously she is. She entertains to, it for like a minute. I'll have to watch for that in the next book. I'm sure I can't imagine what their game would be after all these years. But dad says never take anything for granted. So Nancy now wants to go back to the castle and swim the moat and search the castle finally. Well, says Bess, while you were telephoning, an absolute dream boy here at the motel asked me to play tennis. So Bess says, but I guess I'll tell him no because you need me. I guess because you really, really, really need me. Like fun you will, George said. (laughs) You really want to go play tennis with him. Plus, we can finally trick people into thinking we're vacationing. That's your job, Bess. 
Nancy says that Bess should stay because it might fool inquisitive people into thinking they're on vacation. George teases Bess a little bit that this boy doesn't exist. And Bess says, uh, yes, his name is Alan Ryder. Sounds like a real George Glass there, Bess. George suggests, you better be sure, dear cuz, that he is not one of the semen gang. (gasps) I wouldn't, I don't even... Again, we're not, you know what, we're not going to joke about it. I just love Dear Cause. Like, Dear Cause. Dear Cause. She's never said that. I love it. Yeah. I love that Bass finally gets mad at George, even if I don't love that she threatens violence. Bess stamped her foot furiously. George Fane, there are times when I could pull your hair right out by the roots. She stalked off, leaving Nancy and George giggling. When they're almost at the castle, George says to Nancy, maybe you and I are a couple of goofs. (laughs) Nancy's just like, fine, why? Yeah, Nancy's nonchalant response is, we probably are, but what put that idea in your head? That's, I feel like that's how I legitimately respond when people say stuff like that, like, oh, we're such idiots. I'll just be like, sure, yeah, that makes sense. What's up? Why? (laughs) At this point, George proposes her drawbridge automatic door opener theory, which she will not let go of, even though it becomes increasingly obvious throughout the book is completely false and a red herring. But George is determined that nobody put the drawbridge up and down. There's just some mechanism that if you walk over it, it puts the drawbridge up and down. Well, yeah. I mean, no matter how ridiculous it seems, George keeps finding new ways. Wait a minute. But what if there was a satellite? (laughs) They take off their clothes. They put on their bathing suits. They swim across the river. Swim home. They hear a sepulchral voice. That's the word of the book for sure. Saying, swim back. Death awaits you here. Sweet chariot, swim back. (laughs) George says, this is really spooky. It looks like an old time dungeon. But later we find out the whole thing has like wood paneling and there's a door hidden behind every section somehow. Yeah. I'm exaggerating, but basically. So it sounds less like a dungeon and more like an 80s basement to me. I don't know if you understand how well off these people are. (laughs) They go down into a paneled basement. They're like... It's like a torture dungeon. We found out Nancy has a panel. She does, (laughs) but it has a stage and a dog. Even Nancy begun to feel leery of the dank place. It's almost like without Bess, they have to actually acknowledge their own fear. Yeah, Bess is a little fear sponge. Just then, they hear a car leave, putting the drawbridge down. They follow the car tracks and see, and it's the same car they've seen before, that they saw that woman driving Mm -hmm. and Mr. Seaman leaving in. So three of the tires have parallel lines. The right rear tire has diamonds. So that's these, a, I mean, that's a good clue. It's a very good clue. Someone involved in this mystery isn't good at rotating their tires. George teases Nancy. What, are we going to go look at tire tracks all over town now? Yeah, it's a Cinderella, George. It's time to pull a Cinderella. Tease me all you like, but I think that would be an excellent idea. Do you, Nancy? Like, just go around town looking at tire tracks? Yep. You hold the little shoe up to each of the tires. You see who fits. 
the drawbridge goes back up. And now Nancy and George are once again locked out of this castle. Nancy shimmies up the wall and goes through a hole that was built for a cannon to be pointed out and slips through this little hole, basically. George worries briefly about her, but no, no problem. Nancy is successful in lowering the drawbridge. Now George and Nancy decide to pin it down so nobody can put this darn drawbridge up or down anymore. Yeah, whatever mechanics are opening this thing, it's clearly not like hydraulic or anything because they just put some heavy rocks in one end and they're like, nothing can move that. Yeah. That's it. The idea is they're going to go hunt for that mechanism. I, I think I think we should probably state overall how much of this book is them trying to figure out the drawbridge. Too much. So after they drive away, Nancy's conscience begins to bother her. You and I have been tampering with private property. We could get into trouble. I love that it's only important because she could get into trouble. Right. If the police find out we've been on private property, could lose some of my cred. Don't be silly, says George. They're going to praise us for catching this guy. Obviously. It's not them. It's some guy who's not supposed to live there. Duh, Nancy. Aren't you assuming a lot, says Nancy. And George's closing argument was, nah, they're going to thank us. And I guess that works. Well, says Nancy, we could get the police involved. But on the other hand, you know who I would love to get involved? We could get the boys involved instead. Ned, Dave, and Bert! As you know, Dave dated Bess, and Bert enjoyed taking George to parties. Kick Alan's ass, Dave. Bess agrees it would be a lot more fun than talking to the police to have the boys visit them. So Nancy calls up Ned, who says, I haven't had a letter in ages, but this is even better. Good, I'm glad. I got a postcard you can have. He has her wait on the phone while he asks Bert and Dave if they're coming. Of course they're coming. When Nancy tells Bess that they are in fact coming, Bess says, it's a good thing Alan is leaving tomorrow. I hate complications. (laughs) Boys, always check out of motels the day before your boyfriend shows up. Mm-hmm. Remember, you can get one more night with that lady before well, you have to go. But in the meantime, Alan Ryder invites all three girls to his grandma's birthday party that night. It's a big old picnic. The whole town's coming, basically, and they should come along. He's going to drive up ahead with Bess alone in a car. Ooh. But Nancy and George are going to follow in Nancy's car. However, this is when we find out... Nancy's car is not by the rhododendron bush. It's been stolen. God dang it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it was borrowed, says Alan. I don't think so, says Nancy. Sometimes people just borrow cars. I didn't leave the keys in the ignition. And that would still be stolen. But sometimes people just borrow cars. (laughs) No, if you want to say, hey, go ahead and borrow my car, you leave the keys in the ignition, Carl. Put a little sign up. Hey, this car is for anybody. So Bess and George, at the same time as reporting the the car theft to the police, find out from the police that Ralph Seaman is the owner of the car they saw at the drawbridge, and he lives on 24 Willow Road. At this point, Nancy lost her enthusiasm for the party, as you would after your car was stolen. Car stolen, got some clues. This isn't what I want anymore. So the old Nancy would have gone to the party because she had an obligation. 
She had a duty. This Nancy just doesn't want to seem like a poor sport. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be a poor sport about your car being stolen. I mean, you know, don't make a big deal out of it. There is an absolute banquet. It's one of those potluck, long tables full of everything good. Just as Nancy's about to fill up her plate with chicken salad, up comes Mr. Wheeler and wants to talk to her. So immediately she gives her plate to Bess to fill up because you know Bess knows which salads are best. Bess is going to make a meal of the book. She's going to hook you up. Mr. Wheeler says, I've been thinking about whether those things could have been forgeries I want us to go talk to oh I don't know a man across the river who I will specifically not tell you the name of even though that could come in really handy later on you know the man across the river so Nancy says sure as soon as I can get away from the party I didn't want to be here anyways if I'm honest do you think Wheeler's just been sitting there for days going like forgery (laughs) forgery. yeah he just snapped out of it (laughs) yeah Bess says, I would rather stay with Alan, but Nancy and George head off to Mr. Wheeler's motorboat. It's for the best, Bess. You want to make us look like we're on vacation anyway. Within a few seconds, George whispers, he's a fast pilot. And later she whispers, for an old man, he's a speed demon. And sure enough, he runs in, maybe it's a log. I have to assume it's a log. That's what I was Another assuming. log of the book. At any rate, it's... Same log. At, at any rate, it's our first sinking boat. In a while. In a long while. You have to understand, this is a boat accident that was so shocking, it took a, a full half minute for Nancy and George to recover. I mean, to that, collect their wits. That's longer than most of their concussions. You had wits all over that boat. <laughs> it's picking them up. <laughs> so yeah, the boat fully sinks. They swim Mr. Wheeler to shore and lay him down. He will not come to. They cannot revive him. They're left with no choice but to yell for help, which doesn't work. So then they do SOS with a flashlight. And that is the way that you get a med student on hand right away. Up in their own speedboat come Amy Cadmus and Art Munson, who is a med student. He also can't revive Mr. Wheeler. So he says, nothing for it i'm gonna tell you take him to shore he's got to go in by ambulance to the hospital listen he's either dead or he's not nothing more you can do he raises him in the speedboat which will not fit nancy and george so they have to wait they come back for nancy and george art says to nancy dr munson orders hot baths and a good night's sleep (laughs) here's your prescription bed amy expresses curiosity over george's name is that really your name It's my real name, all right. My parents were so sure I was going to be a boy. And so basically they didn't want to come up with another name. And I have been doing everything I can since then to prove them right. Well, says Amy, unusual names intrigue me. Take Jodine Armstrong, for instance. Please. She is called Jodine, but she goes by Jody. Amy recommends that they go meet her. Tell her you saw me. Check out her name. Yeah. It is not lost on George and Nancy how close to Joan Joni is Jodine is Jodine Joni Joan Jodine Jody and they think that this is significant and maybe related to the case not just that her name is Jody that she was adopted around the same time Joni would have been adopted she's the same age Joni should be back home Mrs. Thompson brings them hot cocoa and cookies in bed in the morning of course they're fully recovered It's a very hot day. Bess is checking herself out in the mirror. She says, I wish 
wish I felt as cool as I look. I think we're hot on the trail of something, and it makes me even hotter to think about it. Well said. Well said, Bass. <laughs> George says, I hope the only cooling off swim I have today will not be in the moat, but the moat L pool. Guys. Bess's reaction to the pun was to throw a pillow at her cousin. And, and, and smartly so. <laughs> They go to visit Mr. Seaman and his house sucks and it becomes apparent no one lives at that house and it's probably a fake address. On the way, Bess and George take the opportunity to tease Nancy about Ned having sent her the moonstone. You can probably trap him into confessing. Next, Nancy says, let's go visit Jody. Don't mention the adoption to them. That might scare off you know, be too sensitive of a topic. Nancy has along the picture and can only hope that she can compare it to pictures of Jody when she was younger. Jody is not home, but luckily her mom is lonesome and wants <laughs> them to stay. Yeah, luckily she's got a sad mom. Even though they don't bring up adoption, her mom wants to talk about it. Jody was left with her name pinned to her at an adoption center when she was three years old. They basically, therefore, know nothing about her parents, except that this note said, hey, I want to give my kid up for adoption. Nancy notices a picture on the piano of a tall, slender, attractive, dark-haired girl, and Mrs. Armstrong confirms that that is, in fact, Jody. She photographs so well. You must have taken lots of pictures of her, Nancy says, in hopes that more pictures will come out. see more? Yeah. Because to be clear, this tall, dark-haired person looks nothing like the blue-eyed, blonde-haired girl in the photo Nancy has. So Mrs. Armstrong says, yeah, of course I have pictures of my daughter. However, they are in my dusty attic and I do not feel like getting them for a complete stranger at this moment. Which is, I feel like the first time I've ever seen someone not want Nancy to go through their attic. There's been a few times that she can't do it right away because they're old and they don't want to climb the stairs. <laughs> True. Getting someone to look at pictures of their children with Nancy Drew, you'd think that'd be a, like, that's a, that's a home run. That's a Nancy Drew move. The fact that it didn't work is so funny to me. Nancy's usually talking to clients who need her. They're going to be more willing to do things she wants. This woman was just going about her day and some kids showed up at her door. Some tourists. I would not let three strange girls who had never even met my daughter into my house. I wouldn't either, but Nancy Drew usually is a bit of an exception. Nancy Drew is the main character in everybody's life, and the only people who don't treat her well are bad guys. It's very funny to me that this woman wouldn't want to show off her daughter. Nancy helps her clients and talks to, like, bank owners and lawyers. I think she's good at socializing, but it's a big ask to cold call a complete stranger and ask them for photo albums of their daughter. Sure. Bit creepier, honestly, than saying, hey, I work for my lawyer dad and I would like some information. Because, like, if you give people a reason, that tends to get you places. Psychologically, we've figured out people just need a reason and they'll bend over backwards for you. Sure. If 
if your reason is your dad's a lawyer and if that's a name that lots of people know all the better but that doesn't apply to this situation she can't be like my dad's carson drew can i see pictures of your daughter right so instead the reason she gives is how photogenic the kid is and that's a weird reason it's nancy drew main character and ultimate good of this universe oh finally someone's treating her like a weirdo and i'm really intrigued (laughs) it wouldn't have occurred to me to compare this woman going up in her attic to these other people but i feel like there's something interesting here because within the book it's directly contrasted nancy drew going into the banks and getting whatever the heck she wants without even having official documentation Mm -hmm. and her talking to mrs thompson and getting nothing And I do think that's interesting when you point it out. You're talking about the private sector versus the public sector. It seems to me that even in the private sector, beautiful, tighty-haired, likable Nancy Drew, who acts her proper amount of proper and is what all people should be, is a joy to show your pictures to. I do think it's interesting with the myth they're building up about Nancy. The interesting thing to me is not whether every other book presented people just piling her with stuff from their attics or not. That's not interesting to me. What's interesting to me is within this very same book, within even a few chapters, we have heard that she can get into anywhere with her charm and straightforwardness. Right. And the contrast here that I think is interesting is she's not being straightforward. She is not saying, hey, can I see the other photos? Sure. She's schmoozing this lady and saying, wow, there must be other good photos. That is not a direct way of asking for you what you want. So what I'm saying is not only the private sector is treating her differently, but she is doing something different when she interacts with the private sector. And I think that's intentional. I think they're saying Nancy Drew is not nosy. She doesn't snoop. She's socially adept. And so she's not going to directly ask this lady if she can have photos of her daughter for a case. This is backed up later when George and Bess are like, maybe we should go back and talk to Mrs. Armstrong again. And Nancy's like, no, I don't want to seem like a friendship pusher. (laughs) So the way this book frames it, you have to coax people in the private sector and be indirect. And Nancy knows the difference between when you need to do that and play the slow game and when you need to be direct and straightforward and get inside the building which is even funnier because your daughter might have an inheritance is actually a really good reason to look at pictures so it makes it even funnier that you wouldn't just be like actually you know i'm looking for a missing person your daughter might have money coming do you Mm. love her miss thompson didn't give much of a shit about these girls or showing off to them yeah if mrs thompson were in it for flattery or willing to treat her adopted daughter as an object to be shown off then she would have run to get those freaking photographs but mrs thompson's like no i know what i've got if three teenage girls show up at my house and i have a grown daughter just so you know in our life i will want to show my child off because i'm a show off well i am too but i wouldn't put my photo albums in the attic well in search of better clues we head to the hospital to meet mr wheeler and i love this because when they get there the nurse is like oh thank god do do you know mr wheeler because he's been very kidnapped and we didn't know who to tell so i guess someone just came in when no one was looking and and walked off with mr wheeler leaving nancy and the gang with with nothing to go on so nancy says okay 
did what did Mr. Wheeler at least say some clues while he was unconscious, like in his sleep? Um, and the nurse is like, oh, yeah, the name Judd came up uh, quite a bit. He just kept saying it over and over. Now, Bess is more worried for Nancy's safety than ever. But Nancy says, you and George are my bodyguards. Can't you keep me safe from the big bad wolf? That hasn't come up yet, has it? What? Wolf's eye. Yeah, it hasn't. Is it, it's like I a, didn't see that link at all. Yeah, I, I, as soon as I read that, I was like, what a weird thing to say. And then later I'm like, was that meant to be like a, a peek into the future? What I immediately thought of is all these vintage uh, postcards I have seen at antique shops through the years that are big bad wolves ogling pretty ladies. That it was just kind of like symbolic of kind of... Oh, just semen in his way he wants to date yeah, all the girls. Yeah, it was symbolic of just like sleazy guys basically i actually love the idea of nancy drew as little red riding hood because that's exactly what she is is this symbol of idyllic womanhood (laughs) so if nancy is little red riding hood and george is definitely the hunter (laughs) i guess Bess is a bit of a grandma Yep, yep. Mrs. Hempstead says that Peter Judd is a queer old fellow. And this is, of course, because he's a train guy. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So he collects a lot of train things. He used to be a conductor for a train. He has a bell in his front yard that rings apparently just so loudly. You can hear it across the river. Love train guys. Have you seen the guy on TikTok who gets so excited just to watch trains go by? He does a little GoPro on his face (laughs) so that you can see him going nancy gets the address gets the location from mrs hempstead and they are off that's where they're gonna go peter judd is very nice it says peter judd certainly did not seem queer they're like well did you know mr wheeler why would he be talking about you is it related to our case and peter judd's like oh yeah let me tell you my story so funny they cozy up to tell the story and nancy sees a man spying on them like the top of his head outside the window she wasn't like i just saw a man she's like everybody run yeah it's again that guy that looks familiar she can't quite place why still the familiar man and for nancy this was letting him go like she was just like okay he's gone yeah yeah peter judd says hey when i told mr wheeler my story he just laughed at me i met grandmother horton and mr and mrs bowen and Joni horton who was a three-year-old girl on my train i met them and then i get told that Joni horton was 21 years old i think not well nancy says did she maybe look something like this and pulls out the photograph and he's like yep that's the little girl named Joni horton that i saw on the train positive identity saying her name she was really identifiable yeah so that is exciting obviously that's a pretty good indicator that they're on the right trail that Joni horton did exist and that mr and mrs bowen are not lying it really casts kind of a pallor on how a Offended Wheeler was by the idea that he might have been wrong about this. Yes. Were you suspicious? How fucking dare you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, one guy specifically told me that it was impossible, but other than that. So this is a pretty good lead. Bess is really excited about their progress in the case. She says, This is our day for good luck. Maybe the Moonstone is bringing it. This is where Bess and George try to get Nancy to go back to Mrs. Armstrong's place 
face and Nancy says, if it seems like I'm a friendship pusher, the Armstrongs may become suspicious and not let me see Jody at all. Mrs. Armstrong is the ultimate social puzzle (laughs) and must be delicately handled. Well, it's just as well because Bess needs to wash her hair before the boys arrive. Fair. While Bess is washing up, Nancy gets some time alone with her binoculars. Binocs. She looks at the castle and there's a bewhiskered old man on top of the castle making weird movements. He's unkempt. She asks herself, has that man gone crazy or is he trying to signal someone? I love the bewhiskered man. As she's looking through the binoculars, Ned greets her in, I think, the most iconic way he's greeted her yet. Yeah. Hey there, was it little detective? Comes up behind her, first of all. I kind of imagine a behind hug, but I don't know if that happened. That might be my fantasy. But he's like, hi, sleuth. Sleuth. And then he kisses her and asks about the mystery. And we all need a man who shows up and says, hi, sleuth, kisses us and asks us about our mystery. We've all got a mystery in our lives. (laughs) We're We're all a different type of sleuth. And her response is basically, see for yourself and hands him the binoculars. Mm -hmm. So he gets to check out the island and the man making signals, the bewhiskered fellow. I just imagine like in Monty Python's Holy Grail, just like this ancient castle with some strange man on top waving around. (laughs) Ned must be looking for real estate because he says that place doesn't look like too bad a place to live, given that you won't have to pay rent. Yeah, nudge nudge Nancy. (laughs) Bess and George will not stop interrogating Ned about this moonstone and insisting that he must have sent it, Mm -hmm. despite his multiple protests. He's gotta feel bad about this at some point. No, Ned, surely a beautiful, wonderful stone such as this. (laughs) Well, and then it's also like, oh, we thought it was a joke you pulled, but when they tell him about the warning note, he's like, that doesn't sound like a joke. They decide after dinner to go rent a speedboat and have a joyride. So Ned, Bert, Dave, Nancy, Bess, and George all pile into the Water Witch, a speedboat that they have rented. As they're going along, we see a very familiar plot where a speedboat is coming directly for them Mm -hmm. as if to crash into them, playing chicken with them. They attempt to swerve out of its way. It still almost hits them. The man who is driving it jumps from it and swims off. So what do they do? Dave and George hop over into this other speedboat and they say, well, we'll probably return it after we go visit the castle. Joyride. Unfortunately, this time the cops show up and try to arrest George and Dave or at least take them in. And then everyone ends up having to go in. And then they're like, maybe the guy who rented us the water witch will vouch for us. And the guy's like, nope, I I don't know them. Maybe they took my boat just to steal (laughs) other people's boats. The funny thing is this story is so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. When the police officer said, Sounds like you're just trying to put it off on someone else. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of. And then they're like, you can't prove that you didn't steal this boat. And Nancy's like, well, you can't prove that we did. Also, my father's name is Carson Drew. Stalemate. And they're like, why didn't you say so before? Which honestly, why didn't she? It's a good point. Don't lead with, we didn't steal this boat. A man jumped out of it. We jumped into it and then we took it. 
So immediately after the name drop, they are let free. Mm-hmm. Dave comes up beside Nancy, rubs his arm against hers, and says, Boy, am I glad to be a friend of such a famous person. Literally rubbing elbows. I do love how much everybody gives Nancy shit for being Carson Drew's daughter. Oh, well, Miss Drew. Back at the castle, they split into three pairs, like you do for a search. Classic Scooby. They all find nothing. They try to go up the stairs and get mobbed by bats, Mm -hmm. much to mostly Bess's dismay. Yeah. Though they do all run screaming from the bats. Nancy and Ned chase the tower signaler, also known as our whiskered friend. That's it. He goes down into the dark cellar. Nancy tries to go after him. Ned says, no, 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 not for girls. I'm going to go down there. Nancy's like, but it's dark. He's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. You've taught me this much about sleuthing. Never to go into a dark place without a light. He has a flashlight. Hot. Wow, Ned. Despite all this, leaving Nancy alone anywhere is a bad idea. She gets kidnapped. There's a lot of time that they're all looking for her. Yeah, she just kind of disappears into the bowels of the castle. Throughout the course of this book, it becomes apparent this wood paneling is just mostly secret doors. (laughs) Yeah. Every few feet. And they somehow like tap on something correctly. And this door comes flying open and Nancy falls out limply into Ned's heroic (laughs) arms. This man had drugged her, the bibiscard fellow. And luckily Ned knows enough about vials of drugs that he says, this is harmless. This is harmless. He just picks it up and goes, oh, don't worry. This is just the one that makes you sleep. (laughs) Yeah. Nancy's like, well, I'm glad he drugged me because now I can put him in jail. (laughs) That's just where I want him. They threaten him with the same vial, don't they? Yes. (laughs) Hey, listen, get a taste of your own medicine. He's not very uh, forthcoming with Mm -hmm. his interview. No, more and more we have closed-lipped thieves, Mm -hmm. and we have to find everything out through an informant who reveals everything to Mm -hmm. us. More on that later. So Nancy does find in the castle a paper that says, Our password will be Moonstone Valley. The boys... Do not want to meet Mrs. Hemstead, even though they are very hungry. (laughs) And luckily, when the girls bring them to the brass kettle, Mrs. Hemstead is sick, which has nothing to do with anything. Nancy does press charges against the prisoner. Bess says, now the Moonstone Valley gang will be after you. Watch out for the Moonstone Valley gang. Chief Burke says, that's one gang I haven't heard of. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) The police are not in the know. The police also found a piece of paper in the prisoner's pocket that says Wolf's Eye, though my edition had a typo, so it said War's Eye. War's Eye? An R instead of an F. When they get back to the motel, Best George and Nancy have been invited to Jody's barbecue party another mystery culminating in a party for everyone luckily it's a co-ed party so the boys can come along oh god i hate it when boys aren't allowed to barbecue (laughs) ned says i'll be glad to see you relax for once nancy i'm sure there won't be any mystery at the picnic yeah you know jody's picnic the person you're like (laughs) investigating the 
three girls looked at one another. They said nothing to the boys. <laughs> so this sounds like just a great party. I would love to go to this party. There is the scent of roses wafting on the warm air. There's a plate full of salads and platters of snacks and punch in a big brimming bowl. There's a stone fireplace for outdoor cooking. There's a dreamboat of a guy dressed up in a chef hat and apron. He's the best cookout chef in the county. And isn't he a riot in that outfit, says Jody? Well, says Harvey, it's one way to get yourself invited to all the parties. He makes the best steaks. They have potato chips, several kinds of salad, salad, vanilla ice cream, vanilla ice cream, topped with fresh fruit, hot off the grill, and cake. This is the meal of the book. Yes. After this meal, there's the entertainment. There's a singer who sings a humorous song about a hillbilly and his first store-bought shoes. The main line is, Ow! They pinch! Ow! They hurt! Ow! They pinch! Ow! They hurt! My first pair of shoes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that. Next is a side-splitting skit about two cruise travelers who speak different languages trying to get back to the same hotel, trying to give each other directions to that hotel. Sounds like an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? By this time, somebody remarks, my goodness, it's almost 12 o'clock. That seemed to be the signal for everyone to leave. That's kind of like the, oh, my goodness. <laughs> These are a bunch of polite Midwesterners. Yeah. They know when it's done. As Nancy gets ready to leave, Jody says, no, not you. Wait until everyone's gone and then I want to talk to you. Uh-oh. She brings her up to her girly bedroom and says, mom said you wanted to see pictures of me. <laughs> mom might not want to show you, but I do. They've got out all of the albums. Much to Nancy's dismay, Jody wants to start at the most recent photos and flip backwards in time. All the while saying things about how much hairstyles and clothing choices have changed for children in the last 12 years. <laughs> Nancy concealed her impatience. Here I am at the Grand Canyon and here I am at Disney World. And According to Jody, adopted children are very lucky because they're chosen and keenly wanted by their adoptive parents. Oof. Might be true, but is ignoring a lot of the trauma that comes along with being adopted. It makes it sound like Joni's overcompensating for something. No, I'm actually very lucky. On the other hand, they're very unlucky because their original parents did Didn't not want, want them, them so much. Or died. Yeah, sad. Okay, then Jody's mom calls for her, and finally, Nancy was delighted to be left alone. Immediately goes for the oldest pictures. It's a match. Jody, when she was young, was not tall, dark-haired, and slender. She was blonde, blue-eyed. Significantly shorter. That's what happened to me. I was blonde, blue-eyed when I was three. Did you know that? I didn't, but I was short. And now I have quite dark brown hair. The listeners can't see it. So I, I can confirm. This was the same child. Nancy is very excited about this news, but she decides she must keep it a secret until she talks to her dad. And at any rate, she knows now that she's uncovered an evil scheme. Bess, 
is excited when Nancy tells her this. Oh, Nancy, you are absolutely marvelous. Now Jody can learn the truth and get all that money. <laughs> George took a more practical view. There may not be one cent of it left. I think it would be better if matters stay the way they are. And Jody never finds out. Well, listen, George, even without the money, Jody was just telling me that her mother never wanted her. So I at least have some good news for her. <laughs> Sadly, at this point, the boys need to leave. Ned forbids Nancy from going to the castle alone. So Nancy teases him. Next time, I'll take a handsome young policeman. Nancy, that's our future home. Be respectful. Nancy again doesn't get to talk to Carson on the phone, but Hannah tells her that Carson is meeting the imposter Joan. Carson's just having, like, a great time in San Francisco. Hannah wants Nancy home because it's too quiet there. Where's Togo? Go take care of Togo. And meanwhile, the prisoner has talked. (gasps) The bewhiskered man. His name is Jake Suggs. That is a bewhiskered name. He talked because he didn't want Mr. Wheeler to die. He had been keeping him semi-conscious also behind one of the wood-paneled doors at the castle. That's so sweet. Didn't want him to die. Nancy's car still hasn't been found, but she has a theory. She knew the chief would think it far-fetched, but she tells him anyways. She believes the car is at the castle, and of course he sends her with two police officers over to the castle. There's a run-in with a snake, a monstrous snake, (laughs) that almost sends Bess packing. Snake stole Nancy's car car but george just throws a stone at it george has dealt with enough snakes kind of hobbit style there's kind of a garage built into a hill is my understanding and her car's in there i guess <laughs> i was i was hoping the drawbridge would come down like a murphy bed and there would be her car you are a clever young sleuth say the police officers it is decided that her car was stolen for no other reason than to keep her from investigating. Yeah, same reason Mr. Wheeler was stolen, really. Apparently, you have a reputation all the way up here in Deep River. So the police take off in their car before the girls are out of this place. Nancy goes to drive over the drawbridge, and all of a sudden it's going up with her on it. Oh, the drawbridge ghost. Nancy does a really cool maneuver where she just like reverses really fast down. Yeah, smart. Bess immediately says, Nancy, don't give me a scare like that again. George scolds her. You'd think it was Nancy's fault. We're lucky to be alive thanks to her. Except the whole thing is Nancy's fault. Yeah. Bess apologized, saying she had not meant to imply Nancy was a poor driver. (laughs) To forestall another argument, Nancy asks what happened. George touts her mechanism theory again. Mm-hmm. Nancy says, well, at any rate, I'm going to open this drawbridge. But to do that, she has to get up high. George says, you can't climb up a sheer wall. Oh, I can because it's not sheer. It has step-like niches <sighs> and heavy vines. So Nancy does get up there, but she's actually not able to get the chains to do the thing. So George has to climb up and save the day. I knew being a tomboy would come in handy someday. Has it not worked out for you yet? (laughs) Yeah. Like I've been suffering through it because I knew. At some point. (laughs) Bess praises them. You girls are positive geniuses. 
it was in this moment I realized how little Bess gets praised. Mm. That is specifically weird to me because she praises everyone. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Bess is hungry. And George says, the tension is supposed to take away your appetite, not increase it. Okay, George, jeez, come on. Which is false. It can do both. Yeah, haven't you ever watched a scary movie? Popcorn, popcorn, popcorn. They find Mrs. Hempstead bored and mad at Mr. Seaman. It's kind of glossed over, but I think it's so funny that Mrs. Hempstead gets to find out that the man she's been trying to set up with all these girls is married. It turns out he's not a salesman at all, but a servant at Mrs. Wilson's house with his wife. (gasps) Mrs. Wilson is not well. She's become very isolated. Only online ordering. That seems like a really similar story. As casually as possible, Nancy asked Mrs. Hempstead the location of Mrs. Wilson's home. Straight afterwards, the three girls go to that home. (sighs) In the driveway, first of all, they find those same tire tracks from the castle. Three striped, one diamond did. Bess said, but let's not get ourselves captured. Not like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's, Mm. can we not get kidnapped this time? They find out there's a clear view to the castle from Mrs. Wilson's house. Makes sense. It would make sense if the bewhiskered fellow... If that's who he was signaling to. Mm-hmm. They knock on the door. Nobody answers. Even though they see Mrs. Seaman in the second floor window, she doesn't come to the door. After trying various means of getting inside, they are unsuccessful and they decide to pretend like they're leaving. Nancy is going to sneak back up to the window. Nancy normally dislikes eavesdropping, but in this case, she thinks it's justified. Just as she positions herself by the window, the familiar man drives up to the door. There he is. Luckily, he doesn't see Nancy and he just goes right in and she's able to hear everything and crack the case wide open. Rudy Raspin. That's the familiar guy's name. Oofta. Why did you come here in the daytime? Well, let me tell you. So Rudy Raspin brags that he went undercover as a jail inspector with a signed letter that he was there for jail inspecting. Chief Burke bought it. That's impressive. And let him go talk to Jake Suggs. Uh, jail inspector, just inspecting your prisoners. Jake Suggs told him everything he had already given away to the police. Mm -hmm. So it's revealed that the servants are in fact Clara and Ben Omen. Same servants. Mm -hmm. When they're told about Jake Suggs being in jail, Nancy can hear gasps of alarm. Mm -hmm. Well, says Rudy Raspin, I always said he was too dumb to be trusted. (laughs) Standing on top of his castle, waving his arms. So unfortunately, Sug tells Rudy what he overheard Bess saying at the castle, which was basically like, oh, I guess that moonstone Nancy was given isn't giving her any luck. You know the moonstone? Mr. Raspin has an idea who might have taken it, and it sounds like he's going to do something violent to them, perhaps. He has, after all, had bad luck ever since it disappeared. That's what this has all been about, is getting your luck back. Rudy Raspin came here to tell them, the deal's off, we gotta get out of here, the police are on their way, leave town, but the omens are like, no, we've got Mrs. Willison 
right where we want her. She's signing checks right and left. We got her drugged up. We're not gonna leave. Apparently, Rudy Raspin is as greedy as his pals and laughed about how he can't leave the loot behind. Okay, tomorrow we'll get out of here. Before Nancy calls the police, she has to call her father, even though Mrs. Wilson's in danger. Hey, Dad. (laughs) So? The police are on the job. Back at the motel, Nancy has received another letter made out of newspaper cuttings. Mm -hmm. It says that the well-wisher, the person who sent her the moonstone, is now in danger as well and needs the moonstone back. Can I borrow that moonstone? She wants Nancy to leave it by the rhododendron bush in a box at night. The plan is, of course, to not put the moonstone in the box and trap the person who tries to get it back. Mm -hmm. Bess complains that more than one person may come, and if they're husky men, we would not stand a chance. George immediately says, why not? We're not weaklings. Plus, I know judo. Which, like, you don't have to be weaklings to not do well against a gang. Those husky men, just wear them down. But, best points out, they might be armed. Yeah. Chief Burks says that they can tag along behind when he goes to catch the servants at Mrs. Wilson's house. Nancy was glad that they don't use the sirens on the way. I just think it further demonstrates how little faith Nancy has in the police. (laughs) Nancy was glad they didn't fudge the whole thing up. (laughs) Yeah. The police end up having to break down the door. Mrs. Wilson is not doing too well, so she's going to have to be brought to the hospital. These are the girls who saved your life. I thank you, and I'm glad those wicked servants have been caught. The officers congratulate the girls, who just smile in embarrassment. And now it's just off to set up for their trap-filled night. Mm-hmm. Kevin McAllister, the whole thing. When Nancy sees who showed up to get the Moonstone, she immediately recognizes her and shouts out her name. Celia Smith shoves Nancy to the ground in response. How close do you think Nancy was when she yelled Celia Smith that Celia was able to get that shove in? Pretty close. Just like right next to her. Yeah. Bess and George end up being able to trap her. Celia Smith fights Bess and George violently, but does not succeed in getting away. Celia Smith was the day maid for my Aunt Eloise Drew, Nancy explains. She could just say Aunt Eloise. These girls just stayed in New York with Aunt Eloise like two months ago. Wait, who? <laughs> Who do they stay with? Oh, you're referring to Aunt Eloise Drew. Yes. I always get confused. Nancy's Aunt Eloise Drew. Oh, that from New York, <laughs> of course. When they stayed with her, by the way, I've never seen Eloise have any servants. Have I, you? I feel like there crazy? was maybe one time a maid was referred to. Okay. But not recently. I, I guess, and I guess this is also like my more modern interpretation, but I always just saw kind of Aunt Eloise as like the on her own jet setting kind of like. I think that's why it's only a day maid. Yeah, fair enough. Like a part-time maid. Who sent the moonstone? We find that out. Yeah, Celia Smith stole it from Rudy Raspin, her husband. Oh, okay, that was Celia who did that. And sent the moonstone to Nancy in order to get her to realize that this mystery was happening in Moonstone Valley, which was not a tip she needed as she was already, <laughs> she was headed, already there. headed there. <laughs> yep. 
Oh, Celia. So this, of course, is their informant. Celia Smith is going to reveal everything. She's sorry she hit Nancy. She didn't recognize her after all. (laughs) In the Moonstone Valley gang, there are several couples who have been pulling the same racket, drugging old women, taking all their money for 15 years at this point. The first one was Grandmother Horton. Like, a lot of rackets you want to stay under the radar. You might sneak a little bit of money out in a way that no one would notice. Mm -hmm. To have a racket where you're consistently drugging and kidnapping old women is, (laughs) I don't know, it's really forcing entry into the whole thing. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's a high-risk operation. It's a high-risk operation. That's the Larkspur Lane to it. The main idea was to rob the women of as much as possible. Oh, that's the idea. George points out, and in some cases, starve them to death. Celia seems genuinely startled about this. She's never heard of this. But she says, they didn't really trust me. They thought I might turn them into the police. So they basically tried to tell me as little as possible. <laughs> as I currently am. Yes. <laughs> She's able to say, yes, I remember little Joni Horton. She was sedated and dropped off at the Adoption Society office with the pinned note. Mm-hmm. And then she has an epiphany that she's never going back to her husband, Rudy Raspin. Yeah. I don't care what happens to me. He is a wicked person and I'm glad he has been found out. Celia Smith married Rudy Raspin and Mm -hmm. that's why Rudy Raspin seemed familiar to Nancy because right before Celia Smith left to marry her fiance, she showed a picture of him to Nancy without ever saying his name for some reason. Sure. Of course, he proved to be a very abusive husband as well as a career criminal. You don't want to marry someone with an alliterative name unless they're a superhero. That's right. the, the only superheroes and villains are the only two. Raspin sounds like nothing more than Rasputin. Yeah. Nancy says, where is your husband at this time? He's working for Mr. Horace Boys in Pleasantville. That's a nice place. She seems relieved after telling them everything about who did what, where. At last, she had followed her conscience. It's good to get that out in the open. The Pleasantville police were able to capture Rudy. Celia is allowed to go free. She sleeps in a motel that night. Nancy stayed with her partly to care for the distraught woman and partly to be sure she did not run away. Mr. and Mrs. Bowen are reunited with their granddaughter. They have decided they're going back to Africa to help underprivileged people. So they're still not going to be a part of their granddaughter's life. I would life. call a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Nancy decides that it's perfectly safe at the castle now so she no longer has to honor her promise to Ned and not go there alone. (laughs) Makes absolutely no sense. At this point we know that there are several couples involved in this gang. It's like an entire network of couples. We have caught so far one couple. Yeah, two people, one couple. One weird hermit. Yeah, that's it. A hermit and a couple. (laughs) And it just makes no sense but that's what they do. Nancy it's like, well, remember when that sepulchral voice tried to make us avoid the cellar? And I was like, Yeah, is that mm. the same voice that told them not to swim the moat? Yeah. yeah. She decides that's the best place to look. Down on the dirt floor, she sprawled full length in order to try to find a hump 
in the earth. Successfully, she does. When they dig up the chest, it's full of negotiable securities and money. And, like you do, a list of people who had been swindled. And the names of two other couples that were in the gang. Because the IRS will get you if you don't keep fastidious <laughs> notes <laughs> you swindled. Yeah. Bess wants to bury everything again and go get the police. Because guess what? There are at least two other couples still on the run. Mm -hmm. But George says, no, sir. After all the trouble we've had, I'm not going to let one of those crooks come here and, and take this fortune away. Nancy says, breaking her earlier supposed rule about not taking sides. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. Yeah. To George, taking George's side, like she usually does. Like, yeah. The treasure chest is so heavy that they all three have to carry it to the car. It turns out that half of Grandma Horton's securities were still intact inside that chest. How many negotiable securities do you think were in there? I don't know. Take a guess. How many? Take a guess. Eight. I'll say ten. Okay. Because they're negotiable securities. Oh, ah! no. So, so these are going to be turned over to Jody. Jody decides she's going to give a lot of her money to her grandparents for their mission work. <laughs> Listener, can you tell how we feel about mission work? Part of what I have left will be for beautiful presents for Nancy Drew, Bess Marvin, and George Fane. What? Go on. They deserve the best rewards in the whole world. <clears throat> Nancy laughed. That is sweet of you, Jody. But the only reward I want is to know what those strange code words wolf sigh mean. Luckily, Jody is quite the scholar. And she has a present for Nancy. She beelines right for her bookshelf and giggles when she finds out that Wolf's Eye is a nickname for Moonstone. It's Moonstone! That's the wolf all along! It's been a while since Nancy's really gotten a reward. Yeah, I love when she gets little trinkets, because it makes me imagine, like, a little curiosity cabinet in her room full of, like, spoils of mysteries. <laughs> Their little trophies. You know, one string that's uh, really out there for me is, for all her promises of, of juicy gossip, Nancy really never gave Mrs. Hempstead anything. No, she had no gossip. I thought it was going to be that the Mr. Wheeler was in the hospital, but no. It was just nothing. Nothing. Nancy, meanwhile, could not help but wonder when she might encounter as strange a mystery as the recent one. Well, good news, Nancy. Soon, she'll be involved in the clue of the whistling bagpipes. I hope we're going to Scotland. Play you out, listener. Uh, yeah, I hope so too. Scotland. Exciting. There's got to be a ghost on the moor, right? Yep, if Scooby-Doo taught me anything. <laughs> My goodness. Look at the time. Well, look at the time. It's nearly midnight here in River Heights Radio. If you want the good gossip, you'll have to join us next time. Until then, I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. And we gotta say, go, go Wildcats! Wildcats! And down with the Moon Valley Wolves. Mm-hmm. We might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime i have a we have a there's a host of video games we can um oh i don't know put them on our patreon remember to support us at our patreon <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our patreon river heights radio we'd really appreciate it 
Instagram at River Heights Radio, Twitter at River Heights FM, River Heights Radio on Facebook, and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours 